Hello, I'm Rob, and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News for the 24th of May, 2023. Hello and welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the sight loss charity Beacons. We're pleased to confirm that the Talking News is now available via Alexa. Once you've enabled the Talking Newspapers skill, all you need to do is play Talking Newspapers and ask for the Black Country Talking News. Our Talking News service is also available via the free Wireless for the Blind app. It can be found on the Beacon Centre website www.beaconvision.org forward slash talking dash news. As a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify or as a free CD, simply contact Beacon Centre on 01902 we hope you enjoy this week's edition. Reading this week, we have myself Rob, Christine, Angela, Liz, Sportsman Ian, Helen, Mina, Simon, and of course not forgetting, Flashback Roger. In this week's edition we have Local News of the Black Country, an update from Beacon, the quiz with Mina, our bulletin of practical information and sight loss tips, the latest news from West Bromwich Albion and Wolves. A did you know section of Flashback Roger, the weather for the week ahead. And with the final bank holiday weekend for May upon us, the history of Worcester makes for an interesting tale, with the city being a good location for a sunny day trip. Local news to start though, with Liz, Christine, Ian, but first, we have Angela. Political leaders are thrashing out new plans that will see millions of pounds spent on the regeneration of parts of Dudley. West Midlands Mayor Andy Street and Stourbridge MP Suzanne Webb have drawn up plans for a major housing scheme and high street regeneration in Lye. They are also set to push the case for the Stourbridge Dasher Rail extension, which would reinstate passenger services on the four-mile freight-only branch line between Stourbridge Junction and Round Oak in Briley Hill. It follows the signing off on the region's latest devolution deal, which handed Mr Street greater powers over transport, skills and housing investment, and comes after Lyme missed out on £20 million in levelling up funding. Ms Webbs last week hosted a meeting with Mr Street to go over the latest plans, which include the metro extension through Dudley to Briley Hill. She said, I'm a huge fan of the devolution deal that takes important regeneration and transport decisions away from Whitehall and into the hands of those locally elected here in the West Midlands. Both Andy and I looked at the business case for investment in housing and transport that is needed in these areas. I'm so thankful we have the devolution deal following the disappointment of losing out on the levelling up fund money. We are both on the same page when it comes to the need for this regeneration and the work now starts to look closely at the specifications needed to drive it forward. On the Starbridge Dasher, she added, such a link would connect Starbridge to the wider West Midlands by rail and it would be a huge boost to our area. Mr Street said, We are progressing at pace with the £3 million for the high streets to improve cycling facilities, which will help spur further investment and regeneration. 
in line, we're working up the business case for a wider housing and regeneration programme. Together, we're getting on with delivering tangible projects that will change the lives of local people for the better in the months and years ahead. Councillor Dr Michael Hardacre became the 164th Mayor of Wolverhampton last week when he was officially appointed as the first citizen of the city. He took over the reins from Councillor Sandra Samuels OBE when councillors held a vote at the annual General Council meeting last Wednesday with his wife Lynn Plant becoming Mayoress. It is customary that the nominated candidate for the politically neutral role of mayor has cross-party support and is voted into office unopposed. Councillor Linda Leach has also become Deputy Mayor for 2023-24 with her husband Pete as Deputy Consort. Councillor Hardacre, a Labour member for Park Ward and a well-known former headteacher, said, I'm delighted to have the privilege of being the Mayor of Wolverhampton for the forthcoming civic year. Being Mayor will be a real honour and I'm looking forward to being an ambassador for the people of our great city over the next 12 months. I have chosen as my theme, moving forward together. There can be little doubt that Wolverhampton, and indeed the world, has been through a tumultuous three or four years, and I will be asking Wolf Runnians to come together as one and ensure that our city continues to be a caring, thriving, vibrant, multicultural and multi-talented place to live. Hundreds of library users, staff and union members were present at noisy protests outside Dudley Council House last Thursday evening after the council announced library and archive services will have their budget slashed by 30%, saving £1.5 million in the sector over the next four years. Protesters fear the libraries would be downscaled or shut down, putting children's and senior citizens' services, such as audiobooks, at risk, as well as denying people without internet access at home the chance to get online. Nikki Benares, who has worked at Dudley Library for over 10 years, said she was none the wiser as to whether it would mean job cuts or closures of some of the 14 libraries in the borough. She said, we do know that all the services the library provides, which is far more than just being able to take out books, are under threat. This has happened before and we fought to keep the library service. It is a vital resource for so many groups from throughout the borough and many people have been using them all their lives, which shows how valuable they are to all ages. Unison spokesperson Emma Dudley said they would fight tooth and nail to keep all the libraries open. She said these cuts will have a devastating effect across the borough and across communities with people of all ages affected and we are determined the impact will be minimal. Council leader Patrick Harley said we have a duty to provide a comprehensive and efficient library service which can be delivered within available resources and can adapt to meet the needs of residents who use them. While a saving has been identified for the service it remains to be decided where those savings will be made. We have certainly not made a decision to close Dudley Library or any other library at this stage. He said a comprehensive consultation and engagement session would be carried out with Dudley residents and all those concerned with libraries. 
A Black Country Healthcare NHS Foundation Trust has been told it must make improvements following an inspection of its acute wards for adults and psychiatric intensive care units. An unannounced inspection of the service was carried out by the Care Quality Commission, CQC, in February, following reports of safeguarding incidents which were being investigated by the local authority and police at the time. The overall rating for the service has now been downgraded from good to requires improvement. The areas that were effective, well-led and responsive have also been rated down from good to requires improvement. The categories looking at whether the service was caring remains good and the category on whether the service is safe remains as requires improvement. Andy Brand, CQC's Deputy Director of Operations in the Midlands said, When we inspected this service, whilst we saw a strong and supported workforce that felt proud to work for the Trust, some improvements were needed to ensure people were receiving appropriate care. It was concerning that people sometimes had their escorted leave or activities cancelled and some wards didn't have enough occupational therapists or activity staff. This meant people didn't receive the treatment they needed to support their discharge from hospital or have their well-being needs met. In addition, people's care plans weren't always updated or reviewed effectively, which impacted the care they received. We saw examples where people's health needs or medication had changed, but nothing had been noted in their plan, meaning staff wouldn't be delivering the correct care. We did also see some positive areas of care. For example, staff assessed and managed risk well, and people told us staff were very caring and always treated them with respect. Relatives said staff were helpful and kept them updated regularly on their family member. We will continue to monitor the trust, including through future inspections, to ensure the necessary improvements are made so people can receive safe and appropriate care. Up next, we hear from Helen, who of course has for us the Beacon Update. Hi everyone, it's Helen back with your weekly Beacon Update. How are you? I have definitely been enjoying some of the sun over the last few days and long may it continue. Now, first this week, we had a fantastic time visiting the Sedgley Adventure Centre so that our members could learn more about animal care recently. They got to look after some beautiful Shetland ponies as part of a new animal care course that we're offering If you'd like to find out more about the course and our community activity programme in general, give us a call on 01902 or email inquiries at beaconvision.org. Now, we'd like to say a big thank you to the team at Best Wishes, Cards and Gifts in Sedgley for their fantastic balloon displays, which they so kindly donated to our colour one. We so appreciate their support and the giant displays, which we had on our finish line, looked fantastic. Now, did you have a prom at school? Well, they certainly seem to be an important part of school life these days. And if there's someone that you know who is in need of a prom dress that doesn't break the bank, our Sedgley shop has a range of really stunning outfits that will make them feel like a true prom queen. You can find our shop opening hours on our website, www.beaconvision.org forward slash shops. And talking about our shops, well, we get some fascinating items donated to them and our team love researching them. Recent donations include an antique carpet sweeper, a wooden U-bank model it is, and a currentator, 
used to add money before the invention of a calculator. If you've got any good quality items you'd like to donate to Beacon, you can find your nearest shop on our website. I'll give you the address again. It's www.beaconvision.org forward slash shops. That's it for this week. I'll be back again soon with another update. Here's that update, Helen. Up now, we're our next block of local news. And starting this one off, we first hear Christine. A rare copy of the Beatles' 1968 White Album raised more than £2,000 at auction after being donated to a charity shop. The first edition of the album was handed in to one of the region's British Heart Foundation branches. Shop manager Natalie Langsford said a generous donor brought it in and it was just mixed in with other items. After charity experts suspected its value, it was listed on eBay and sold for £2,350 on Monday night. That's just an amazing amount, said the charity's area manager, Marcy Samel. We're delighted. The White Album, released in 1968 with a blank sleeve, was the Liverpool Quartet's ninth studio album and is formally titled The Beatles. It is often said to be the band's best ever and comprises 30 songs. The edition donated to the British Heart Foundation is thought to be incredibly rare, featuring a misprint unique to the first version of the record, of which there are only 10,000 copies. Despite its age, it was also in good condition, complete with original inserts and a fold-out poster. We were thrilled to have such a rare donation come into our shop, Ms. Samel said. People across the world will be able to see the best of some of the region after a new virtual tour video has been released. The video, uploaded onto YouTube, showcases a range of the striking and successful locations the area has to offer, from historic tourist sites steeped in history and culture to business locations and community amenities. The video was created by South Staffordshire Council and leader, Councillor Roger Lees, is delighted with the result. He said, We are immensely proud of our remarkable district and are delighted to be able to show some of its many wonderful attributes in this video. With a great historical background and a range of exciting and innovative locations, South Staffordshire remains forward-facing yet unspoilt by progress. And this video gives everyone a chance to see what we have to offer. Starring sites from right across the district, the video includes footage of the district's National Trust and English Heritage sites, including Kinver Edge, White Ladies Priory, Boscobel House, Mosley Old Hall and Whittick Manor. Distinctive and popular attractions such as Bagridge Country Park, Western Park and Wild Zoo also feature alongside the Moat House, Apney Green Airport, Apney Green Wine Estate, Penkridge Market and the Hollybush Garden Centre. The virtual tour also displays some of the district's most prosperous business sites, including the modern Four Ashes Enterprise Centre, the award-winning Dunstan Business Village and the I-54 South Staffordshire, home to firms such as Moog and Jaguar Land Rover. Award-winning Hive of Activity Codsall Community Hub is also included, alongside the impressive and newly refurbished Penkridge Leisure Centre. The video will now be used to promote the district's extra special offering, giving businesses a glimpse of the well-connected area, offering visitors a chance to see its array of stunning attractions and perhaps even making existing residents aware of the many outstanding locations on their doorstep. 
a black country father and son duo have now racked up over 100 million views on video sharing app TikTok. Brian Kilgallen and his son Jay, Jamie Scott, from Albury, have been creating videos on TikTok since 2020 and with what initially started off as a bit of fun has now become an online hit after their channel recently amassed over 100 million views. The duo recreate viral dance videos or Jay will teach his 76-year-old father a dance routine and they will then go through the steps and document it in clips. Brian said that despite going viral a while ago now, he still cannot believe it. He said, I never thought we would ever get this number. I'm actually puzzled we've achieved 100 million views. As I've said previously, it was only started as a bit of fun, but then to see some of our videos get millions and millions of views has been unreal. Me and my son had a chat about it recently and we think we just happened to hit something directly on the head, having a father and son dancing duo as there aren't many others like us. And the best thing about it all is that it's a nice bonding situation too. It keeps me fit even though I'm the slower of the two dancers. Brian also works as a lollipop man to get him out of his house. After retiring at the age of 63, he wanted to do something to keep him busy. Their channel on TikTok now has over 386,000 followers and they have almost 17 million likes on their videos in total. Jay sings and dances and has recently released a single called Rice, Peas and Chicken. Some thought the day might never come, but last week Wolverhampton's Civic Hall opened its doors to audiences for the first time in eight years. Renamed the Halls Wolverhampton, the venue closed in 2015 for refurbishment with a projected cost of £10 million and planned to reopen in November 2016. After a series of major setbacks, including the discovery of asbestos inside the building and the original contractor going bust, the reopening was pushed back and back, leading to spiralling costs and public disbelief. The long-awaited reopening even made the butt of a joke at the Wolverhampton Grand Pantomime last Christmas. Now, eight years and more than £40 million later, the venue is finally back in action. The deputy leader of Wolverhampton Council, Councillor Stephen Simkins, said this was what the blood, sweat and tears had all been for. He also claimed that the halls would attract 300,000 visitors to Wolverhampton and add more than £10 million to the local economy every year. Stourbridge-born Steve Homer, the CEO of AEG Presents, who are the operators of the venue, added... Having hosted artists from The Clash, Bowie and Nirvana to the Manic Street Preachers and Morrissey, it's incredible to be able to bring an iconic venue back to life and as a local lad, this is all the more special. We can't wait to open the doors of the Halls Wolverhampton and bring the world's best artists to the West Midlands stage. Ahead of its official opening this week, the Halls opened its doors last week with a special preview event for audiences, Louder at the Halls. The event was hosted by Wolves Records, the innovative record label backed by Wolverhampton Wanderers. All proceeds from ticket sales were donated to the Wolves Foundation, the club's official charity network, which aims to educate and inspire local people and communities. This Friday, the halls officially opens with a bang as Britpop sensation Blur take to the stage and christen the venue with their sold-out show. 
There are plenty of exciting acts heading to the halls over the next month and a half, including McFly and the Sugar Babes, with more acts set to be announced throughout the year. The script will take to the stage on June the 5th, despite tragically losing their co-founder and guitarist Mark Sheehan last month. Sheehan was only 46 and died following a brief illness. However, the concert is still going ahead and tickets are available, albeit selling fast. For more information on the eclectic array of artists visiting the city over the coming months, go to thehallswolverhampton.co.uk. Now it's time to test your knowledge as we have the quiz questions for this edition and they're brought to us by Mina. Hello and welcome to this week's Flashback Quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in Flashback Rogers' Did You Know feature. But for now, these are your questions. Here we go. Question 1. How long have Levi Blue Jeans been around? Question 2. Who was the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic? Question 3. Which is older, the pyramids at Giza or Stonehenge? Question 4. What is it that 98% of British tea drinkers like to do with their copper? Question 5. What has recently been voted our most popular national dish? And finally, question 6. Which flowers are the birth flowers of May? I will be back later with the answers, but for now, best of luck. Just those questions, Mina. I'll get my mind working on those. Up now, however, it's another block of local news. A junior football club has moved a step closer to taking a squad on a European trip of a lifetime with a gift from a German mayor of more than £1,000 towards the trip. Around 13 members of the under-17s at Bridge North Spartans are planning to visit the city of Schrobenhausen in June. The two towns are twinned and the trip on June the 23rd is being arranged as part of the German city's celebrations to mark 30 years of friendship with Bridge North. Earlier in the year, Hartmut Siegel, the chairman of the twinning committee in Schrobenhausen, which is located in Bavaria between Munich and Nuremberg, visited Bridge North and Spartans FC as part of the twinning celebrations. Now Mr Siegel has contracted the football team and offered more than £1,000 in support for the Spartans trip, courtesy of Schrobenhausen's mayor Harald Reisner. Damien Williams, coach to the under-17, said it actually works out more than £1,000. They have arranged for the transfers to the airport, are giving €50 per lad towards hotel accommodation and are also paying for transport to Bayern Munich's Allianz Arena where we have a visit planned. He said the two-day trip to Germany will see Bridge North Spartans take on local side SV Steingriff in a friendly match and the team will also take part in the twinning celebrations. The two towns, which are both also twinned with Thiers in France, were officially twinned together 30 years ago. As you can imagine, the lads are absolutely buzzing about the opportunity, added Damien. It is a massive boon for them. They are all doing first year of A-levels or have just started an apprenticeship. 
But this is the generation that during COVID missed out so much. Most of them were in the middle of senior school and had all their trips cancelled. So this is just a brilliant opportunity. Despite the donation, Damien said that the Spartans still needed to raise another £2,500 for their trip. If you can help support the Bridge North Spartans trip to Schorbenhausen, you can contact the club at info at afcbridgenorthspartans.co.uk. The leader of a project aimed at promoting cycling has cautiously welcomed £21 million in government funding to improve walking and cycle routes. The West Midlands Combined Authority, which includes the Black Country Boroughs, was given £12.6 million of the total £21.3 million awarded in the latest round of the government's active travel fund to deliver 29 schemes. But Steve Price of a local bike project said it would need a coordinated effort by councils to make sure the money is used properly. Steve, who runs the project as a community interest company and recycles bikes to provide them at low cost to the community, says the council and other local authorities need to use the money wisely to encourage more people to get out and cycle in safe environments. He said, any schemes which promote safer cycling and indeed walking are welcome, but even with the existing ones, there is much to be done. National Active Travel Commissioner Chris Boardman said, by giving millions of people the freedom of choice to walk, wheel or cycle for everyday trips, this funding will help us improve public health, tackle climate change and give hundreds of thousands of children the independence to travel safely under their own steam. Now our focus is working with councils to get these schemes built swiftly. We'll be working together to ensure the projects are well designed and effective so that they bring maximum benefits to communities and help improve lives nationwide. Transport Secretary Mark Harper said, We want to make sure everyone across the country can choose cheaper, greener and healthier travel, while we continue to support our high streets and local businesses. This £200 million investment will improve road safety, ease congestions across the West Midlands and on public transport, and ultimately improve the health and well-being of the millions of people choosing active travel. An elite British cycling event is set to be held in Dudley after the success of last year's Commonwealth Games. The Dudley Grand Prix circuit race will be held in the borough on July the 14th to coincide with celebrations for Black Country Day. The event, which is part of the Men's and Women's National Circuit Series, is expected to attract some famous cyclists, including British Olympic champions. Organisers say the epicentre of the course, described as twisty, technical and fast, will be the roundabout linking Priory Road, the Broadway and the Coronation Gardens, with food stalls, music and commentary promised. Riders will also race along Adnam Road, Parsons Street, Wolverhampton Street, Priory Street and the Broadway, where a finished gantry will be erected as the lap concludes on Priory Road. Dudley Council leader, Councillor Patrick Harley, said, This is a really exciting opportunity for Dudley. We're thrilled to be hosting elite sports again in the borough on the back of the success of last year's Commonwealth Games cycling time trials. The event saw thousands of people line the streets to watch the action and we're hopeful that this event will give local people plenty to be excited about too so they can visit the town and see world-class sports on the doorstep. 
This national level event will help raise the profile even further of Black Country Day. It will be a key event as part of our celebrations throughout the month of July to celebrate the culture and heritage of our area. Members of the Stourbridge Cycling Club have worked with British Cycling, Dudley Council and Generation Pro Cycle Events to secure the borough's place in the Circuit Series calendar. Lee Wood from the Cycling Club said, Being born and bred in Dudley, I was thrilled with last year's Commonwealth Games and approached the council about the possibility of this kind of event. I'm so pleased with the support from British Cycling and Dudley Council we've been able to turn our dream into a reality. We're now really looking forward to supporting on the event planning and making it a huge success. Council bosses have said the course has been designed to minimise disruption to the road network. People can find more details about the event by visiting DudleyGrandPrix.com. A venue in Wolverhampton has won a national award for Wedding Venue of the Year. Grand Station in Wolverhampton won the award at the 6th Britain's Asian Wedding Awards. The venue, which is based on Sun Street, Wolverhampton, was one of the finalists in the Wedding Venue of the Year category. And though the competition was fierce, Grand Station managed to take the trophy home. Sharing his delight at the winning of the award, Danny Thompson, Head of Sales and Business Development at Grand Station, said, It is an honour to work with such a hard-working and dedicated team at the Grand Station. We hosted over 350 events last year. We are grateful to all the local people that continue to support us every year. We host a lot of different types of wedding at the Grand Station, but Asian weddings have always been very important to us due to the different cultures living in the local area. We have dedicated packages that specialise in Hindu, Sikh and Muslim weddings. The venue does not only host weddings, but a wide range of events such as conferences, exhibitions, seminars, Christmas parties and also charity balls, something that Danny said they are proud to host throughout the year. Grand Station is a multifaceted space and holds events from 10 people up to 1,000 people and the venue has become a popular spot for weddings and parties due to its classy look, which is based around the Grade 2 listed building previously being at the low-level train station in Wolverhampton. It was originally opened as such in 1854. A spokesperson for the Britain's Asian Wedding Awards 2023 said, The winners represent the gold standard of Britain's Asian wedding industry. The awards celebrated those who work tirelessly to meet the demands of the couples and their guests. These champions are tried and tested specialists that know how to create a stress-free wedding experience, keeping the romance in the air. We would like to congratulate all finalists and winners for their amazing achievements. Time now for our latest edition of Sight Loss Tips, provided by the charity InfoSound. For further details on any of the items and practical information in this bulletin, you can also contact Beacon's team of Sight Loss Advisors on 01902 880 and that number again 01902 880 one, one, one. TNF Soundings Features from across the UK News 
news and information about living with sight loss. From InfoSound. Hello and welcome to edition 18 of InfoShorts from InfoSound, a brief bulletin of news, advice and practical information to help living with sight loss. And in this edition, a talking measuring jug, audio description at places of interest, keeping out unwanted glare and a new USB player designed for VI users. One of just a few talking measuring jugs that are sold is available from Cobalt Systems. Theirs measures in pints and fluid ounces, UK and US, or in litres and millilitres, and it can convert its readings between any of these. The user selects the type of liquid to be measured, water, milk, oil-based or user-defined, and liquid can be added either with the jug, sitting on a worktop or held in the hand. The contents of the jug are spoken at the press of a button or automatically as a liquid is added, and the volume of the speech is adjustable. 20 and 1 half fluid ounces. 20 and 1 half fluid ounces. You can set any reading to zero once a measurement has been taken without emptying the container to allow a measured volume of a second liquid to then be added. You can actually calibrate the jug to be used with any liquid or in fact any solid if needed. The container which holds up to two litres of liquid and which is microwave and dishwasher safe can be removed from the handle and the base surround and that's what contains the measuring electronics. The overall jug measures 150 by 240 by 210 millilitres and it's powered by a single 9-volt PP3 alkaline battery, which can be supplied. InfoSound A quick mention now for audio description at places of interest and heritage sites like stately homes and the like. Thanks to the work of national audio describers Vocalize and local volunteers working with sight loss charities, you may find that such places have some form of audio description service. Certainly not all will, but it's well worth inquiring. This could be in the form of an audio wand that plays a spoken description of where you are as you go around a building, an exhibit or a display. Occasionally, these can be played via your own smartphone. And sometimes you can take an audio player around with you and use it manually. Sighted assistance can often be necessary or preferable, so it's always worth phoning ahead and asking what facilities National Trust and other places of interest can offer. And that, of course, goes for museums and galleries as well. InfoSound Right, now as Anita Plant, a low vision advisor and rehabilitation officer who heads up the Partially Sighted Society team, joins us, I know that your piece of useful advice this week, Anita, is somewhat weather dependent. Yes. Today, I'd just like to remind everybody how useful a sun visor or a cap can be for counteracting the glare when we do eventually get some lovely hot, sunny weather. So the visor, the cap, the peak of the cap, that's the thing that basically just keeps direct sunlight out of the eye. Absolutely, because light comes into the eye from all different directions and glare comes from all different directions. So having a cap with a peak that sort of like nicely fits over the forehead and will provide nice amount of shade for the eye and stop that glare coming in from the sun. And can these be sort of, if you like, a normal baseball cap type? Absolutely, absolutely. Whatever would suit your style, but the principle is that we're just having that shade sort of like over the forehead, but, you know, above the eyebrows that is going to just protect the eyes and counteract that glare that comes in from the top. 
And another thought occurs to me, is it different for some eye conditions than others? Are some eye conditions more sensitive to this? And should you just go with how it affects you personally? Yeah, we tend to, in my experience and from what people have said, that conditions such as glaucoma tend to cause quite a lot of glare. If you have cataracts as well that are either waiting to be operated on or can't be operated on for whatever reason, that will also cause a lot of glare. But I do find that glaucoma does tend to cause quite a lot of discomfort glare for people. Well, it's good to know that there's a non-specialist mainstream item out there, a baseball cap, and sometimes you can get them with very long protruding peaks, can't you, that will sort out the problem or at least help in that direction. Absolutely. And yep, and just remember to wear them with the cap at the front of your head and not at the back. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much, Anita. Okay, thank you. Info sound. We seem to have mentioned USB audio players quite a lot this year, not least because, having taken over from the CD and before that the cassette, USB memory sticks, or thumb drives, are now the commonest way for talking newspapers, magazines and books to be supplied to blind and partially sighted people. And if you don't use a laptop or computer, then small dedicated USB audio players are the way to listen to them. You basically just plug in the memory stick and press play. Well, just onto the market from RNIB is their new Accord USB player, which has been designed for blind and partially sighted people with tactile controls, wireless charging, bookmarking features and a chapter skipping function. There's quite a lot to say about the device, which is also a Bluetooth speaker, but to mention just a few features, the volume control buttons are a large tactile plus and minus sign on one side of the device, designed to be easily located by touch. These also function as chapter skip forward backward buttons. The power button also functions as the play pause button, and the two other control buttons and all ports are on the top of the cylindrically shaped device. It can also play audio from an SD card and it can be used with headphones. The RNIB Accord gives voice prompts in an English male voice to indicate battery, Bluetooth, charging and the device's software update status. RNIB makes special mention of its lightweight, 384 grams, and it is in fact supplied with a lanyard for carrying around more securely, they say. That brings us to the end of this edition of the weekly InfoShorts Bulletin from InfoSound. Please don't forget that if you have a hint or tip for living with sight loss, a recommendation perhaps about a daily living product that works for you, or you'd like to share information about a service you benefit from, then you can easily pick up the phone and call in a quick message into us here at InfoSound at any time for including on InfoShorts. And the number to call is 03000 treble one treble five that's oh three thousand treble one treble five right that's it for this week many thanks for listening news and information about living with sight loss from infosound tnf soundings Coming up next on this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, we have another block of local news. The Dambusters Raid, officially known as Operation Chastise, took place overnight on May 16th to 17th, 1943. It was one of the most iconic events of World War II. 
a remarkable feat of precision bombing celebrated for its innovation and classic British audacity. Strike Hard, Strike Shore is a display at RAF Cosford, remembering the Dam Busters on an historic 80th anniversary. 19 Lancaster bombers took off from RAF Scampton in Lincolnshire on a mission to cripple Germany's industrial infrastructure by targeting three key dams in the Ruhr Valley. Their targets were well defended. Anti-torpedo nets meant conventional water-based weapons wouldn't get through and anti-aircraft guns meant bombers would have a tough time getting near enough to drop their load. But the RAF 617 Squadron, led by Wing Commander Guy Gibson, had a secret weapon, the bouncing bomb. Wing Commander Guy Gibson was in his 20s when he led the Dam Busters mission. The bouncing bomb, developed by British engineer Barnes Wallace, was specially designed to be dropped at a specific velocity and to spin in a certain way so that it would bounce across the water, evading the torpedo nets before detonating against the dam wall. On the night of the raid, the bombers took off from the airbase, flying at low altitude to avoid radar detection and navigating complex terrain to overcome German air defences. One of the reasons the mission became so famous was the sheer skill and courage of the flight crews. Under fire, they flew incredibly low, some passing the dams multiple times to get the targeting right. The bombers managed to breach the Moan and Eder dams, causing catastrophic flooding in an important region for the German war machine. Thousands were killed on the ground, including civilians. The Sorp Dam sustained minor damage. The mission was deemed a success by Bomber Command, but it came at a huge cost. 53 of the aircrew were killed and eight aircraft were lost. The incredible courage shown by all involved in Operation Chastise is the reason the mission is honoured as it is. Wing Commander Guy Gibson was awarded the Victoria Cross, Britain's biggest military honour for his leadership during the operation. And that forms part of a permanent Bomber Command exhibition at the RAF Museum in Cosford. The new exhibition is opening to mark the 80th anniversary of the Dam Busters raid. Playing a starring role in the display is a newly restored Wellington bomber and Dam Buster Commander Guy Gibson's medals, including his Victoria Cross. The exhibition, Strike Hard, Strike Shore, Bomber Command 1939-1945, explores the stories of the crew and the technology they used for the operation. Many of the personal artefacts from the museum's collection are on display for the first time. RAF museum curator Tom Hopkins spoke about the daring efforts of the squadron 80 years ago. There were three dams in western Germany, Tom explained, and the British realised if they could breach the dams, it would do an awful lot of damage to the German economy. On top of the general damage, it would deprive the Germans of water and damage their industry, including the German canal systems and the resultant loss of hydroelectric power. As we discussed above, for such a bold venture, the RAF would need to think outside the box. Tom continued... From above, the target is very small. In addition, 
from above, a bomb won't do too much damage. Ideally, you want to attack it from the side and from underwater. To deliver that in 1943 required some really creative thinking. Enter Sir Barnes Wallace, an engineer and inventor of the revolutionary bouncing bomb. As mentioned in the introduction, the bomb was designed to skip over the anti-torpedo nets protecting the dams and sink to the bottom and detonate at the base of the dam wall. Tom explained, Just like when you skim stones, the bomb would skip across a calm body of water. It required very precise height and speed to ensure the bombs would hit their target. Ensuring the trajectory of the bombs meant flying dangerously low at points being just 60 feet above the water, less than the wingspan of the Lancaster bombers. 19 Lancasters took off on the raid 80 years ago. Of those, Tom explained, 8 didn't return and 53 members of the aircrew died and 3 were captured. It was around a 40% loss of crew. By the end of the raid, two of the three dams were breached. The strategic success of the raid is still under some historical debate. Within weeks or months, the Germans were back on their feet and around 1,600 casualties, mostly slave labourers from Poland, Russia and Ukraine, drowned in the flooding. Commander Gibson himself later wrote of the event, The fact that people might drown had not occurred to us. No one likes mass slaughter and we did not like being the authors of it. But news of the success of the raid proved a morale booster to those back in Britain. Commander Gibson was awarded the Victoria Cross and many of the air and ground crew were also honoured with awards. Commander Gibson embarked on a public relations-style tour of Canada and the US and even featured on Desert Island Discs with Roy Plumley in February 1944. But the pilot was keen to return to duty, fearing the war would end before he could get back into action. By July, he was back on duty, taking part in several raids in Lancaster's Lightnings and Mosquitoes. But two months later, Gibson would fly his last. The commander's aircraft crashed in the Netherlands in September 1944 on the return from a bombing run in Germany. Now his Victoria Cross forms part of the RAF Museum's Bomber Command exhibition. Tom added, We were very lucky to have it in our collection. It's a really wonderful part of history. As well as the recently restored Wellington bomber, the exhibition includes a de Havilland Mosquito, Yonkers JU-88, Messerschmitt ME-410 and 262, a section of a short Sterling Mark III and a Tiger Moth. It looks like it's certainly worth a visit. For more information, visit the website www.rafmuseum.org.uk forward slash midlands forward slash things hyphen two hyphen c hyphen and hyphen do forward slash hangers forward slash bomber hyphen command hyphen exhibition up now it's trivia time brought to us by flashback roger and his did you know feature Hello again everyone, this last but one spot in May is a mixed bag of items to savour that I hope will get you thinking. So here goes. Now then, did you know that? 
Blue jeans were officially invented in May 1873 after Levi Strauss and Jacob Davis obtained a patent for the pants on May the 20th. So your blue jeans are now officially 150 years old this year. Who'd have thought it, eh? On May the 20th, 1932, Amelia Earhart flew across the Atlantic Ocean, marking the first solo flight by a woman. She later attempted a round-the-world flight in 1937, but she and her aircraft were lost flying over the Pacific Ocean. Her body and the remains of her aircraft were never found, and she was pronounced to be dead in 1939. We often think of the Pyramids of Giza as being one of the oldest monuments in the world. And it is, of course. But there are even older constructions in the UK. Located in the southwest of England and one of the UK's most famous tourist attractions, Stonehenge was believed to have been created in around 3,000 years BCE meaning it's older than Egypt pyramids. And us Brits really do love our tea, don't we? I know I do. Some stereotypes have a base in reality, and this is one of them. It's a fact that people in the United Kingdom drink a lot of tea. The British consume about 100 million cups of tea every day. That's nearly 36 billion a year. Unlike in most other countries, 98% of tea drinkers in the UK add milk to their brew. And you might equate British food with fish and chips. A comforting roast dinner on a Sunday afternoon, or a steak and kidney pie. But UK residents actually once voted chicken tikka masala as the country's national dish. It's not certain who was the first to come up with the recipe for the mild curry, but it was popularised by British Asian cooks in the 1960s. And May's birth flowers are the hawthorn and the lily of the valley. The hawthorn means hope, while the lily of the valley symbolises sweetness or the return of happiness. May's birthstone is emerald. The emerald's considered to be the best of those from South America. Oh, there you go then. I told you it was a mixed bag, and I for one would never guess that chicken tikka was the national's favourite. But I'd never dispute that we really do like our tea. Well, I for one certainly wouldn't, would I? Now then, where's my teapot and my Kit Kat? En route up, I'm off. I'm going to raid the archives for more things to present to you. So till next week then, I'll just say bye for now. Ta-ra a bit. Ta-ra! now, we're to hear what the weather has in store for us. Brought to us as always by Mina. The weather for this week ahead is forecast to be dry and settled, warm with plenty of sunny intervals. Temperatures are forecast to improve again and we could see highs of 20, perhaps even 23 degrees as we move into next week. UV levels are expected to fluctuate between medium and high as we see some prolonged spells of sunshine. So, if you are out and about in the sun for any length of time, do remember to protect yourself and your loved ones with plenty of sun cream. The sunrise and sunset times are 4.50am for the sunrise and 9.20pm for the sunset. For Friday 26th of May, it is forecast to be dry with sunny spells. With a gentle breeze, temperatures are expected to hold up well at around 20 degrees. The sunshine looks set to stick with us as we head into the weekend, with Saturday and Sunday both forecast to be full of sunny intervals, with little cloud whatsoever. Temperatures should remain very pleasant at around 20 degrees. 
on to next week and the dry weather will continue to dominate. It is forecast for settled spell of warm weather to remain in the region from 29th of May and continue right through to Thursday 1st of June. With just a gentle breeze expected, temperatures should continue to be around 20 degrees with a high of even 23 degrees in places. All in all, looks like we are forecast to have a wonderful bank holiday ahead. So that's your weather for this week. Have a lovely long weekend and as always, enjoy the weather. Cheers for that weather update, Mina. Up now, it's time to find out how our local football teams have been getting on. With Wolves securing their Premier League status last week, the final few games were seen as a mundane formality to complete what has been a largely disappointing campaign. But Saturday served up some surprising scenes of drama. On the pitch, Wolves suffered late heartbreak in their final home game of the season, as a goal deep into the 10th minute of injury time salvaged a 1-1 draw and a desperate point for Everton in their battle to survive relegation. In a surprisingly entertaining and intense start, both sides created chances before the game was turned on its head with one tactical change, as Adama was switched from right to left. And it was vintage Traore whose stunning run and shot gave Huang He Chan his fourth goal of the season, with another lovely tap-in. In contrast, the second 45 was more subdued, and attention turned to events off the field. In the 86th minute with We've Got Neves, Rubin Neves, bellowing out from all four sides of Molyneux, there wasn't a dry eye in the house, as fans gave their captain a well-deserved hero's send-off, in what's believed to have been his final home appearance. With Raul on the bench, an emotional final farewell was also expected for Wolves number 9. But with Wolves making their final two substitutions in the 86th minute, realisation hit that Raul was not making it off the bench. Clearly upset and reduced to tears, Jimenez threw his training jacket in the direction of the dugout and stormed off down the tunnel, before coming back out for the lap of appreciation, still visibly distraught. Fans were not happy, and in hindsight, Lopetegui admitted he had made a mistake by not bringing Jimenez on to say goodbye to the Wolves fans at Molyneux. He said he has not been in his best fitness. We put him on in Manchester. Today, with this kind of match, I tried to choose and maybe I can do better as a coach and put him on the pitch for the last 10 minutes. You have to be professional as a coach and after you have to take an emotional decision. So maybe with this situation, maybe I can do a little better as a coach. I am critical of myself. The head coach also revealed João Moutinho was in his plans, but that the player's will and situation prevented him from being involved as he was left out of the squad for a second game running. Moutinho, along with Johnny Otto, were not seen saying goodbye to the fans after the game either, which will have upset many, as with their contracts running out, like Raúl, they are also expected to depart. All fascinating narratives, leaving plenty to ponder on an emotional afternoon. There was also much to consider for Albion fans this weekend too, as season ticket costs for 2023-24 were confirmed. The club confirmed a freeze of prices for those under 25 and all juniors, but all prices on adults and seniors incurred an increase. 
No adult, though, will pay more than an extra £30. The base figure is £349 with seniors over 65 from £289. Disabled prices plus free entrance for a carer start from £170. Albion's next generation push continued with kids for a quid aged 17 and below still in place. Season tickets for ages 17 to 19 cost £99 and £199 for ages 20 to 25. Around 60% of voters in an Express and Star poll said Baggies fans were happy with the 2023-24 prices, as the club remained the most competitive in the region after steeper rises at Premier League duo Wolves and Aston Villa and League Two Walsall. There was, however, kickback from some unhappy fans unwilling to fund Guachuan Lai's regime. The absent controlling shareholder has missed several deadlines to repay loans to the club and refused to offer any investment, with the baggies forced into a £20 million loan with heavy interest. He and sole WBA group director Hawthorne's based Zoo Key, Ken, have refused to offer concerned shareholders any updates. Have you done any good at the quiz this week? Well, now's the time to find out, as we have the quiz answers. Hello, and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Feeling confident? How will you score? Let's see. Question 1. How long have Levi Blue Jeans been around? And the answer? 150 years. Question 2. Who was the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic? And the answer here is Amelia Earhart. Question 3. Which is older, the pyramids at Giza or Stonehenge? And the answer is Stonehenge. Question 4. What is it that 90% of British tea drinkers like to do with their cuppa? And the answer here is... They add milk. Question 5. What has recently been voted our most popular national dish? And the answer here is chicken tikka masala. And finally, question 6. Which flowers are the birth flowers of May? And the answer here is hawthorn and lily of the valley. Did you get them all right? If not, not to worry, as I'll be back next week to test you all once again. Bye for now. With another long weekend on the way, perhaps you're thinking of a day out. Here, Stounding's contributor Jane provides a brief history of the city of Worcester, which is one of her favourite places to visit. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, this is Amanda with an article written by Jane giving us a brief history of the city of Worcester, one of her favourite places in the UK. The city of Worcester is a city I know well and always enjoy visiting. If you have not been, I recommend that you go. Located southwest of Birmingham, the city is about 30 miles from Birmingham and about 40 miles from the Welsh border. 
The fact that Sesta is part of the city's name may refer to the fact that Romans once lived in the area. It is certainly a city with a long history, because the cathedral dates from at least 983. By the 11th century, Worcester was a small settlement with a castle and cathedral, surrounded by a strong outer wall, although only fragments of the walls remain visible now. Worcester Cathedral was built by a team of men organised by Bishop Oswald of York, who was later canonised as St Oswald. Visitors to the current-day cathedral often come to see the lovely stained-glass windows and the tombs of King John and Prince Arthur, who was the eldest son of Henry VII. The 16 cathedral's bells are the fifth heaviest ringing peal in the world and are regarded as one of the finest ringing peals ever cast. The bells are part of the oral landscape of the city of Worcester. The cathedral is the only church in the world to have a ring of ten bells in a harmonic minor key. Music lovers also make the trip for the cathedral's statue of the composer Sir Edward Elgar. Elgar was born just outside the city and later became master of the king's music at the time of King George V. In the high street, just opposite the cathedral green, stands another statue of Sir Edward Elgar. This is notable because it is near this statue that the composer's father, William Elgar, had a music shop from where he would go out to tune people's pianos. History also remembers Worcester as the site of one of the final battles in the English Civil War. The Battle of Worcester in 1651 saw Oliver Cromwell's army defeating the forces of King Charles II. Trade and manufacturing have also played an important part in Worcester's heritage. In the Middle Ages, Worcester was home to important trades including wool trading and glove making. Later, in 1751, the famous Royal Worcester Porcelain Factory was founded. Sadly, porcelain manufacture ended in the city in 2008, but the history is kept alive at the Museum of Royal Worcester. Here, you can find out more about how porcelain production developed over the years and the most popular designs. Royal Worcester porcelain is still sold today, and some of it is highly collectible. By the 1830s, the city was also known for its newly opened Lee and Perrins factory, which produced Lee and Perrins Worcestershire sauce. During the time that I lived in Worcester, Thursday was the day the sauce was bottled and the smell pervaded the city and nearby villages for hours and hours. The River Severn flows through the city on its way to the sea, but this has disadvantages, as the area is known to flood when the water levels are high. Worcester's floods have come to national attention on a number of occasions in recent years, when photos of canoeists taking advantage of the flooded racecourse have been published. If you plan to visit, do try to go when the city isn't flooded, because the banks of the river make a good place for a walk if you follow the pathway from the cathedral to the more central shopping area. I hope this brief introduction to Worcester has piqued your interest. There are many places to visit within the city, so do go along one day and enjoy yourself there. TNF Soundings
So that's it for another edition of the Black Country Talking News. A reminder to our CD listeners who have received CDs in padded envelopes that you don't need to send anything back to us. If you have a sight loss tip or someone you would like to wish happy birthday to, just say hello to. Maybe even a poem or talking book you would like reviewed, then please get in touch with us at the Beacon Centre. Call 01902 880 Email bctn at beaconvision.org or write to us at the Black Country Talking News, Beacon, Wolverhampton Road East, Wolverhampton, WV4 6AZ. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening and thank you to all our supporters, donators and volunteers who without their support will be unable to run this free service. Please note the information and views expressed in this recording does not necessarily represent the views of Beacon or Talking News and were accurate at the time of recording. Mentions of goods and services does not imply endorsement and whilst every care is taken to supply accurate information, Beacon and Talking News do not undertake liability for any errors. So it's goodbye from all of us, stay safe, have a good week and we look forward to bringing you next week's edition of the Black Country Talking News. Ta-ra!